welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about some kind of funny thing I'm going to say here that I'm not sure what it is yet. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. I'm Kevin. <laughs> this week, chapters 25 through 28. But first, bum bum bum, previously on Forever Canon, the heck is this bead thing? Luke finds horn, Mara finds T.U. Thraken wants a false flag, Wedge wants basements. The beads are ancient languages. Sial shoots a fool. But that was last week. This week, we start with chapter 25. On Lord City, on Planet Lord. Dumb which man. is, again, let's, let's have a, let's stop right away. And, you know, this happens a lot in Star Wars, where they're just like, you know what? We're just going to call the city Planet Lord name city and move on from there well it happens in real life it does it totally does man i mean there's no earth city but as far as countries go and and capitals of states and stuff like that certainly new york new york i mean that's lame quebec city turns out it's pretty popular place mexico city yeah yeah true true story (laughs) so we open in mexico city mexico still not a good idea i still don't like it (laughs) we open in lord city lord Jason and Ben land and are greeted by a new Jedi, Nalani Din, a human female who Ben seems to notice, but she seems to notice Jason. Right away, they're like giving off vibes as some kind of like an old flame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys pick up on that or is that just me? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was pretty obvious right away, right? It's either an old flame or she's got this like Unrequ- unrequited love She's for got him. a thing for him, but he doesn't seem to really pay much attention to her. Yeah, he doesn't seem to pay very much attention to her at all. But regardless, she's found someone who knows about the tassels. Dr. Hyland Rotham. Okay, so now we've we've got two names, two people names now. Let's stop again. Let's talk about these names. Nalani Din. I like that one. I like it. Not bad. Uh, I like like it. And in fact, I'm going to really go off track here. And Tim, you know the campaign that you and I played that I ran where we were both Jedi? We, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy flight game, Star Wars? Yeah. One of the villains, recurring villains that we had who was working with the Inquisitors was Zarala Din. Yeah. I pulled that straight out of like the actual like GM books. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe that's like her <laughs> uncle or something, her great uncle. And I was like, oh, family ties all over the Star Wars like they always do. Like, like they do. But yeah, that's a good name. Highland Rotham, Doctor Highland Rotham. It's That's n- not bad. It's not bad. It sounds definitely sounds better with the doctor in the front of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Highland Rotham. Oh, that doesn't sound bad either. You know no. what? So far, I'm on board. We're no. two and a half out of two. Lord City is excusable. <laughs> yeah. If not creative and interesting, at least excusable. <laughs> doctor Rotham is so old, her skin is nearly translucent. <laughs> she starts decoding the tassel. So. The number one, we're going to go through the, the list of translations that she gives here, kind of bit by bit as she does it. She says this first one is from the Bith species, which is, you see them in the cantina in episode four, right? They're like giant butt-headed dudes with tiny little pee hole mouths. And they only know one song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And oh boy, have I ever had a laugh at that scene a few times in my life. Play that same song. Just, okay, listen, I'm going to put this out there for the public. I was watching this one time. I was watching the cantina scene. And it occurred to me that 
you know, I've watched a lot of documentaries about the Star Wars movies, and when they were making the first one, nobody believed in it, other than George Lucas. Nobody in the cast really was, like, bought into it. They're all like, this all sounds like nonsense, and it, we don't think it's going to go anywhere, right? As you do, it's like an indie film, right? Yeah. Nobody believed in it. So, I'm watching the cantina scene one day, and watching these Bith musicians, and they're like, they're pretending he's got, or not pretending, but he's got like a long flute stuck up his nose hole and he's just like flapping his elbows and wiggling his fingers on the thing. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's a dude in a suit. That's an actor inside of a suit going, what the hell am I doing right now? <laughs> if wiggling fingers and you know, George Lucas was like, okay, wait a minute. Uh, if, uh, I want, uh, can you just get the, the right hand on top? Uh, if you, if you were really a bit, uh, your right hand would be on top because they're predominantly right hand. So you're doing it like 45 times and you have no faith in this at all. You're sweating to death in a giant butthead costume. <laughs> yeah. like, you're in the middle of the desert in 1974 or whatever, when they're filming the movie. Imagine being that guy on set that day, just like for the 40th time rolling over this music and like, there's no music on set. You're just wiggling elbows and shaking <laughs> fingers and like bobbing yeah. your head. That's a guy that needs a paycheck. That is the amazing thing about Star Wars to me is that nobody believed in it when they were making it. And it has gone on to become it's such a cultural now. phenomenon. Any- Anyways, the, fir- the first tassel is a Bith language. Bith. Dr. Rotham decodes it. He will ruin those who deny justice. Nalani pops in. Uh, that seems ominous. Jason and Ben. Huh? Why? Why? Why Why would that be? That's what that, Jedi do. What do you mean? Why? Hmm. Why would that be a, a sign of ill omens? Is that, again, remember last time we were talking about willful ignorance versus just regular inf- ignorance? Is that, I don't know, is that just them being willfully blind to, like, the threat of the dark side. I think the big clue in that one is ruin. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. not he will put an end to those who deny justice. Yeah. Because that could be, like, police officer, stuff like that, you yeah. know, or, like, yeah. a typical Jedi. But he will ruin Ru- those who Ruin is justice. not justice. Ruin no. is revenge. Yeah, no, yeah, ruin That's is... decimation. That's salt your fields and <laughs> yeah, yeah. burn your family name down and so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, yeah. nonetheless... Dr. Rotham has some more time to work on the decoding because Nalani gets beeped about an emergency. Some sort of lunatic in a starfighter threatening to launch missiles says he wants to talk to a Jedi. Everybody's a starfighter. Welcome to Terrorist City Lord. That's what the real name should be because here we go with some weird goings-ons. Jason figures we'll give her more time to decode and I'll tag along for the hostage negotiations. No big deal. Yeah, why not? I'm a senior Jedi. It's actually probably the right thing to do. A Y-Wing, with its missiles pointed at the student housing district, sits in the middle of the traffic lane. Ben can feel the pilot in the force. He says he feels like a hard knot of pain and confusion. Lord Police tell Jason his name is Ordith Huar. Now, let's take a pause again. Ordith Huar. I mean, how? I guess I shouldn't color it so much. How do you guys pronounce that when you read it? Uh, I Huar? Yeah. Like, Huar. Yeah, like, like, you don't give it a stupid, like, wrestling accent like I do? Like, no. It's, Huar! Uh, Ordith Huar. <laughs> Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah, I'm Ordith Huar! Yeah, I'm with Tim on that one. Just a, just yeah, you guys are normal? Not yeah. Idiots, I, st- I still like, don't really like it, but... Yeah, it's not great. It's 
Yeah, it, it's okay. But the captain goes on to describe this guy's life. And he seems to have had a pretty cool life. Samarin opened his data pad and consulted it. This is the, the police captain, Samarin. Ordith Hua. Age 81, standard years. Human male originally from Lord. Back in the Old Republic and Empire days, he was a shuttle pilot. At the height of the Rebel Alliance, he joined them and spent the war as an Y-Wing pilot, during which time he scored one half of a kill. His record as a Rebel pilot was undistinguished. He got an assist. He got an assist. They go on to describe well, some more of his life. He I... became a flight instructor after the Empire fell. And eventually retired and returned to Lord. He came out of retirement a few years back to shuttle Yuzhan Vong war refugees around. And the record suggests that being kicked around from planet to planet, unwilling to accept refugees, did something bad to his outlook. After the Yuzhan Vong war, he came back again, bought some rural property with his wife, and spent the next several years living off his pension and shooting blasters at intruders. So Captain Samran steps in here. And paints us a picture of a of a wartime shuttle pilot who's like all PD, PTSD shooting guns at people walking onto his property now, having a hard time readjusting to regular life over all these years. Like that was a that was a a quick character study there. Yeah. But this man has had a busy life, eh? All those things like going all the way back. He just seems to have been a pilot for every major area or era. I mean, he was just a, just shuttling people around. Yeah, it's like people are having wars over here and there. I'm gonna, I'll take you there. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back home. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. it's crazy. I'll drive. He, he's a space Uber driver. <laughs> I was just thinking that space Uber coming in hot in the future of real life. I don't know. I just thought that was like a cool, quick summation of a full life from the period of like the movies and just before the movies all the way up to now in the books. Yeah. Like quick coverage because you get a lot of that in this first book a lot of quick recaps of how we got to where we are yeah. here now in the timeline and that was just another little cool one of them who ours wife died a few short years ago sound familiar does that remind you guys of anybody shout it out a crazy man whose wife recently died a few years ago well it reminded me of admiral klauskin Ah, uh, yes. Ah, yep. uh, okay. uh, yes. yes. Uh, well, now I like this Huar guy a little less. Yeah. Well, <laughs> turns out he wants to ask the Jedi one thing. And this still didn't remind you guys of Klauskin. Nope. What is a Force ghost? <laughs> he says, what is a Force ghost? Meanwhile, cut back to Admiral Klauskin before he has to go on emotional wreckage leave from the, from the uh, what do you call that? Space Navy. He is having visions of his wife, his ghost wife, telling him, you did a great job, do more, start a war, so on and so forth. This guy, his wife is telling him, well, I don't know if she's telling him or not, but he's having also a forced ghost wife visit him, and now he's threatening to blow up a whole section of students in the Lord City of Lord. Before we get much of an answer from the Lonnie, though, Jason flips the Y-Wing over and pushes it where its missile tubes just are, are blocked right off. at a wall. Just, just point it right at the yeah. wall. Missile tubes are blocked, and he goes, hey, problem solved. Nolani gets mad that Jason interfered, but he, of course, has a logical explanation. What are you doing? That was Nolani returning at a quick trot. I had the situation under control. Mm, Jason turned a dubious look on her. No, you didn't. You were executing a decent negotiation, 
But to be in control, you would have had to been able to prevent him from firing at any moment. Could you? Cut to. Tell that to all the families of all the students who would have died if he somehow fired without your detecting it. Or if he had his missile set up on a timer, which you wouldn't have been able to feel. And don't tell me he wouldn't have. You have no control of his actions. And every moment you negotiated with him, you risked the lives of those students. So Jason, again, just jumping in and taking control over other people's actions, right? Like he's, he just inserts himself into the situation, does what he thinks is right, explains it away and moves on with himself, with himself. Like he, he, you can't, there's no art out arguing this guy. No, he's always got the logic in his back pocket. Well, what was funny is right before anyone walked up to the, the Y wing, Nalani asked, he's like, she's like, I'll take care of this unless you'd like to. Right. You're the senior one. He goes, no, I have another tactic I'll explore. Yeah. So he let her take the lead and then just probably not off and full did well his knowing he was yeah. going to do that anyways. Yeah. Like he yeah. gave her like, it sounds like minutes. He could have just went, you know what? Don't even bother. Hold on. I got this. Yeah. And just done the thing with the Y, the, the y wing. He, he, and needed, he needed three whole sentences to figure out what he was going to do though. So yeah. got to give her some time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You're right. It's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. But as they argue, Ben feels something from the pilot. Despair and determination. The pilot launches his blocked missiles anyways and blows up his own Y-Wing. Scores of officers are swarming towards the fighter at this time. And Ben is trying to warn them away as he sees the explosion in slow motion. Remember this happened before? With the door. Yeah, where yeah. he's seeing things in slow motion. Is this Jedi stuff, man? Like, is that the Force? Is that... I think force it's just, time dilation or is it regular I think adrenaline? It's, just force. It's, adrenaline. Probably, it's probably both. Um, yeah, it is probably a regular thing enhanced by well, the your way, force sensitivity. The way I've always pictured it is like seeing how fast Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan move in episode one when the droidicas come up the thing. Unfortunate like, about the animation of that, but yeah. You blink and they're gone. Now, picture anytime you see like two Jedi or like a Jedi and a Sith in a lightsaber fight, imagine... As fast as you're seeing it there, right? That's slow mo. You're watching it in slow motion. Right. They're moving the speed that they were running down the hallway, like yeah. And it, you can't see it with your normal. It, it's not human perceptible. Eye yeah, with your with your normie eyes. But yeah. I, I, again, like you get that description of the slow motion thing. Slow motion stuff. And you're probably right. It's probably like your natural when you're when your body gets pumped with adrenaline, your brain goes into a weird time dilation where you you perceive time differently. It does seem slower. And if you tie that to like super force sensitivity, that must be amazing. Cranked <laughs> up to 11. <laughs> up to 11. Sounds amazing. But the <laughs> ship is gone. Just a burnt crater, twisted buildings and unconscious bodies left. The Jedi help the first responders. And as they're recovering, trading past horror stories, Jason tells Ben that no one died thanks to his warning. Ben says, Lubed. 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 Lube. But I imagine he says it in like a head down, like despondent way. Like not actual excitement. I don't know. That's how I read it. Yeah. It seems like a somber. See, the first time he said it, I thought it was like, oh, we're screwed. Oh, really? I knew right away. That means that's dope. But but Sick. now I'm like, what? Cool. Yeah. yeah. I know. It, yeah. It's funny though. Think about that. Like slang changes so fast. Okay. You get, you get different versions of the same slang every 10 years or whatever. Recently, I was my my kid came my oldest kid came home from school and he was saying bro all the time, 
So I started making fun of him. And I started saying bro all the time. I was like, hey, bro, bro, this bro. Hey, can you do this, bro? Hey, bro, come over here. Hey, bro. I can't stop. It's been three years. <laughs> and I can't stop saying it. And I hate myself <laughs> for it. But I I can't stop, bro. I can't stop. <laughs> for real. <laughs> but slang is just so funny like that. Like the same words. Like, like I, I mean, I guess you're kind of disproving my argument where my point was going to be like, from contextual clues, you can kind of pick up the meaning of it. But at the same time, it, it does kind of get lost in the ether. Like, the, yeah. the, just the generality of the slang. Well, and at the beginning of the book, he, Ben says lubed. At the, mm-hmm. at the very beginning, Jason's like, no, don't yeah, do that. Don't, don't talk like that. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't chide him this time. That's no, he doesn't. Point. Well, he saved everybody besides the pilot. And Jason tells him he gets the rest of the day off for being a good Jedi. Oh, that's that seems like an adequate adequate reward for stopping a public terrorist bombing. Yeah. Hey, you save probably millions of students because, as Star Wars is, these planets are super densely populated most of the time. Have the rest of the day off. Great job. Yeah, yeah. And and he's like jacked. He's super jacked about it. He's uh, super lubed. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say lubed. <laughs> a thirteen-year-old unsupervised for the first time ever and he's got a laser sword so rare Uh, yeah so rare well i don't know i don't know you know this whole this whole section here over the next couple chapters i think where we get a lot of these terrorist attack vignettes spoiler alert man this is so like it's so close to real life now oh yeah where like i remember reading this stuff back when the book came out and it was like Maybe the naive, naivety, naivete of being like a 19, 20 year old where you're not really aware of the world. But to me, the only terrorism there was in the world was was obviously the World Trade Center that had happened previously to me reading these books. So this I remember like at the time being like, oh, man, this seems crazy. Like imagine a world where this would just happen all the time in the day. Fast forward to 2018 and it's this is it real happens. life all the time. It's not missiles. But it's guns and it's just people being bad to people all the time. Listen, I'm going to I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to put a special message for all our listeners. Okay. Please be nice to everyone on Earth and everyone in space. Just be nice. Always a good choice. Be nice to everybody on Earth and everybody in space. That's my special message for me. My name is Justin. Tag. Finish. Quote over. Okay. Back to the book. Ben is jacked about his unsupervised time off. Jason and Nalani renew their argument as they walk away. (laughs) (laughs) And I want Tim and Kevin to play out what you would guess that argument would sound like on the way out of there. I know we get the argument revealed to us right away in in the next paragraph. But imagine... And just imagine, like we said before, what a dick this guy comes off as all the time. All the time. Like, hey, I'll let you do that. But just kidding. Psych. Turns yeah. out I'm right and you're wrong. I and just used you, you as a distraction. Yeah. Used you is the perfect phrase. Like, this guy is just callous, man. He's gross. But the argument turns out to be short, anyways. The argument is. Nalani says, sometimes there's a more subtle way to do things. 
And Jason says, maybe terrorists don't get consideration. Well, that's a tough uh, little verses. I don't know how to answer that question. But then they quickly shift gears to Nalani trying to fire up some romance with Jason. Which, like, you were just mad at him five minutes ago for A, ruining your job, B, endangering people, so on and so forth. She says she wanted to seven years ago when he was teaching her how to swing a lightsaber. She wanted him to really teach her how to swing a lightsaber. (laughs) So she tries to put the moves on him now, and Jason turns her down, though, because he's got a girlfriend. Ooh! This is news. Yes, he hasn't mentioned this yet, right? No, he hasn't. Jason has a girlfriend. Who the heck could it be? It would. Ha- it must be a character we've already been introduced to, right, guys? It wouldn't be somebody who's been on the back burner for a whole book, would it? Well, maybe he's lying. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. Maybe he doesn't like her, and it's easier to let her down this way. You don't know her. She goes to a different Jedi school. <laughs> In Actually. <laughs> They have already said uh, there are several academies in here. So You're right. There are. There's, there's one, one on, on Corellia. Corellia. There's, there's probably one, there's on one here in La- on Lord. Yeah. That's why Nalani is there in the first place. <laughs> but maybe she does. Maybe his girlfriend goes to a different school. 30-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 26. Coruscant. A few hours after the bombing on Lord. It's not often that we get, like, we get set in the time frame. Where they where they're like, this just happened and now this is happening. Yeah. It's, it's usually left a little more open that. But this time they tell us it's just a few hours after the bombing on Lord. Luke is meeting with Omas, Nyathal, and old Gil again, the uh, head council of the GA. Apparently receiving the info about Toria's station is not enough to screw Sal Solo. Who's to say he took it for serious, they say. You can't just take him down for that. That's not good enough proof. You have to prove that he knew it was a viable threat. And Luke says, uh, let's just arrest him anyway on suspicion. The trial will take months and he'll be out of the picture for a while. And we'll be able to get some peace. And all the governments are like, bam, jaw, on the floor. They're like, excuse me, Jedi? What did you, what? Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't expect that from the Jedi. Maybe the CIA. <laughs> but this is like, is this, but then again, is this new Jedi or is this like Mace Windu? Like, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill that Palpatine. Frick a trial and frick forgiveness. You dead, son. Like where Luke's like, listen, yeah, there's a time and place for for following the rules, and there's a time and place for procedure. There's also a time and place for using a loophole to your advantage, right? Yeah, there are times when the end justifies the means. That is the word, isn't it? Yep. Luke responds to the shocked government by saying, "Jedi are among the most pragmatic beings in the galaxy." We tend to operate under the assumption that it's better to get things done than to observe all the niceties. We consider justice to be of more consequence than law, for instance. Even justice is often overrated. Sometimes the imposition of justice prevents redemption. Is the tassel talking about Luke? Is this Luke? Like, he is just dropping prophecy this whole book man everything he says i guess uh, it gives me goosebumps oh this guy saying like heavy things and like such a i don't know such a such an easily digestible way 
Yeah, it, it doesn't actually come off too preachy when he says no, it. No, sometimes the imposition of justice prevents redemption. Meanwhile, he's saying, we don't know if this guy's guilty, but let's lock him up for a while anyways. So, you know, he's kind of... Tie him up in court proceedings. Kind of two-faced on the same coin. But, nonetheless... Well, they know he's a bad guy. They're not... They're, I think, legally allowed to detain someone for X amount of time while he's, like, awaiting his trial and Mm -hmm. the trial's going through. And at least it gets him off the streets, you know? Out of the war room. Yeah. Out of the decision-making. Allows peace to progress... In his absence. And it's not any less reasonable than kidnapping Wedge and everybody else that they tried to I mean, they would have to, to kidnap up a head of state, so yeah. that's kind of... Well, uh, they did try that. But at least yeah. Luke's trying to kidnap... <laughs> wait a second, yeah. <laughs> yeah wait, they, they kid- already did try this. Luke's yeah. trying to kidnap him legally, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. He's a, yeah, this cop, cop kidnapping. Because yeah. they don't recognize the Corellians as an independent system, technically he is... Under their it, jurisdiction. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. It is not a bad plan, but Omas says, Calomas, the, of course, head of the GA. What do they call him again? The prime, prime what? The prime GA or? Prime minister. No, no. no. Chief, of state, chief of state. Chief of state, Calomas. No. Chief of state, Calomas says, kidnapping Sal Solo could set a dangerous precedent for my own kidnapping. Is he foreshadowing something there? I genuinely don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. That's one of those times where I'm saying foreshadowing, and it's not a guarantee. But he's, he's got a good point. You don't want to just start kidnapping people and then put yourself in a position where it's okay to kidnap people. Oh, wait a minute. Like we just said, you already did. Yeah, you already yeah. attempted this. And this is not kidnapping. This is arresting. Sending Jedi to go scoop him up is kidnapping. Yeah. Sending police to arrest him is not kidnapping. So... Mixed messages from the government, which, hey, that's not out of character for a government. For any government. Nope, not at all. Space or not. The rest of Luke's report is, well, support is rising from for Corellia across the galaxy. And just, uh, man, Gil has so many good lines here. That guy, like, we said he was our favorite character. He just keeps getting better and better. Here's, here's one, here's one. Pelion snorted, his expression amused but derisive. That's what I love about politics, he said. We and a Karelian puppet ruler might have to conspire to remove a politician who's an impediment to us both before we can make headway in the peace process. How much sense does that make? <laughs> like he's he's so like just the old old politician who's seen it all. He doesn't he doesn't even bat an eyelash at things going crooked. It's funny. He's, I don't even know if he's so much a politician. Like I get that he's been involved in politics a lot, but he's I think an admiral first. Right. And then just kind of walked into a political office and he's just kind of like, I'm going to run this like I did the military. Right. Yeah. But then he comes he comes back at us at the at the bottom of the same page with some like heavy, heavy heartedness. He, he turns to Luke and he says, and I'm sorry about your boy. And Luke's eyebrows rose. Sorry. I don't mean about his accomplishment. I mean about his involvement. Peleon gave Luke a wry smile. The young go through wars and think that the experience is enough to teach them fear of such conflicts. And then years later, their children go to war and suddenly the parents learn what fear really means. Another thing that's been echoed a few times in this book, where earlier we were getting that echoed from Mara, where she was talking about, this is why Jedi weren't allowed to have children and stuff like that, because the attachments and and your children are your greatest fear and your greatest weakness and so on and so forth. Yeah. And this whole book has been centered on 
Jason and Ben, the children of the heads of the Jedi. So, you know, put that in your back pocket and stay tuned for more of that. He might be an experienced old man, old Gil, but he's not a cold man. He's got a spot in his heart that understands war is bad news. Cut to the Carillion system above Trallis. Sial and team are test running the Aleph class fighters. She and her co-pilot, Sulliston Zwebzon, both hate the ships. Stop. Name in time. Zwebzon. For a Sulliston, I think Zweb- it's okay. Yeah. yeah, it's a good Sulliston. It name. is. When... In episode six, when Lando is flying the Falcon with a Sulliston, that's oh, when he's flying the Falcon, his co-pilot is a Sulliston, the guy with the like layered face flaps. Mm-hmm. That's a Sulliston. And hit what was his name? Siub Snub. Uh, Tianober, Nianub or something. I think something. there's two different ones that have like the either, same last either name way, or something. Either way, the the name formatting is yep. is always like this for Sullistons. If you know anything about Star Wars, you a bunch of noobs. But Zweb's on. And Sayal both hate these new ships. But she's a test pilot now, just like her father. By comparison with the X-Wings that her father so loved, the Aleph-class starfighters were flying tanks. Heavily armored two-crew craft with overbuilt generators. The Aleph's had been designed, here we go again, in the last few months of the Yuzhan Vong War, more than a decade before. As a one-to-one match, for the Yuzhan Vong Coral Skipper, a massive single pilot organic starfighter protected by thick shells and by voids. Mobile singularities that could slide in in front of incoming lasers or missiles and swallow them completely. So here we are. The ship, of course, like everything else after the Yuzhan Vong War, is built to destroy Yuzhan Vong. Yeah. Turns out... Weapons of war. They were some threatening bad guys. We keep getting echoes of it in everything. In the droids now, in the, in the ships now, in the in the way the government is set up and stuff like that. But they still hate these flying tanks. Sial even thinks they look stupid. Remember we looked these up last we week? We looked at a picture and I think that's like a, a more recent one. I don't mm. think... I, st- I remember seeing another picture that didn't look good. Either way, this, but... the description sounded like the picture that we that we looked at. And it looks like a, a TIE fighter with solid pointy triangle wings on it. Like yeah. kite shield wings on it. And it's got a slightly longer body and a doubled up cockpit. We thought it was dope. They hate it. They call them twees because they look like a twilight head. Because they have the, the, the trailing oh, yeah. ion, dual ion engine or something. Either way, they're flying giant high, tw- Twi'lek heads around in space. And Sial decides she better do her dang best now that she's going by Antilles. Because mm-hmm. remember, she's out of her secret identity. Secret's out. Everybody knows she's Wedge's daughter now. So yeah. she says, I better do a damn good job running these ships even if I hate them. She's going to run this ship into Trallis, Atmo. And test its limits. Cut to Lord City Lord. Ben arrives just in time for Dr. Rotham's results. Lucky. Let's do a quick quick rundown. I I wrote down the 13 prophecies that were handed through the tassels here. Number one. He will remake or rename himself. He will ruin those who deny justice. Wasn't Luke just saying 
Sometimes justice is overrated, even in the name of redemption. Okay, number three, he will choose the fate of the weak. Number four tassel is a poisonous-looking yellow and green one. Unknown. Even Dr. Rotham can't decipher that one. The fifth tassel says, he will choose how he will be loved. He will win and break his chains. He will shed his skin and choose a new skin. He will strengthen himself through sacrifice. Remember we had a big talk about sacrifice? Yes. And how it's the core theme of Star Wars and it's the driving principle behind everything that everybody ultimately does. Here we see it again. Tassel number nine. He will crawl through his cloak. He will know brotherhood. He will make a pet. He will strengthen himself through pain. He will be drawn from peace into conflict. Or maybe his life will be balanced between peace and conflict. So now we have a, we're coming to the end of this book and we are given a full on prophecy right here. Like that's, it's not up in the air anymore. Here are the conditions of change. This is what is coming. This is what is said to be happening. Now for the characters in the book, you know, they, they can sort of dismiss it offhand because they're not reading this as a novel. Yeah. Us as readers, when you are presented with something like this. Take note of it because it is prophecy in the world that you are reading about. And I'm sure it's not mentioned to not be fulfilled. Right. As, as, As a writing tactic, maybe it could be some red herrings in there. But overall, this prophecy is here for a reason. Yeah, it's too much detail for something that's just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Move on. And I mean, that's it's a classic literature move, right? Like, I mean... There might be 13 of those, of these or 12 commandments is, is a pretty old story about, about some prophecy and, and, yeah, and, and rules. A... And there's pro- prophecy is, is a nice, uh, it, it's, it's a nice writing device. It's, it's very interesting because it's vague foreshadowing, but it's a huge blanket of it. And so now everything that we look at in the next eight and a quarter books is going to be colored by all these things that were said here on these tassels that have been given so much gravitas by the way that they're presented in the book. What do you guys think this means? Now, obviously we've read these books before and our general no spoiler rule applies, but just as a, as, as a, as a thing, as a standalone thing, what do you think some of this stuff means? Like, he will crawl through his cloak. What's that? That mean? one I got nothing That's for. That's a strange one. Is it? Is, maybe it's about like how he's he's gonna have to like pro- prostrate himself. He's, he's gonna have to like beg and and plead or or I don't know. Get, get on your hands and knees, crawl and beg type of thing. Maybe crawl through his cloak isn't a literal like crawling on hands and knees yeah. through like a cape. Right. Maybe it's more of um, he will sneak through the shadows type of a deal. Mm, maybe. What about make a pet? Fabricate right. a pet. And it fabricate is italicized. Right. So that, that stands out. And, and 
So literally create something that's subservient. But yeah, exactly. A pet in in what sense, right? Yeah. Probably not based based on the based on the temperature of all these other comments. Probably not a loving pet. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. It's and it does say he will choose dark. how he'll be loved. Right. And and the thirteenth one, the last one. Jason can feel the meaning of it, and he gives us that alternate meaning. Yeah. The one that Rotham gives us is he'll be drawn from peace into conflict. And the one that Jason feels out of the thing is his life will be balanced between peace and conflict. And that, to me, right away, sounds like Jason rationalizing a thing into a better presentation. That was all Jason. Oh, the Dr. whole Rotham, thing was? Dr. Oh, Rotham didn't okay. know any I of that tassel. That, he said he will be drawn from peace into conflict. And then he feels it Or maybe his life will be balanced between peace and conflict. Okay, that was all Jason. Yeah. But that, again, no that, that was interesting. Was. Lucky 13. And yeah. he is the one who can decipher it. And Dr. Rotham says that she's seen it before from the planet Zeost, right? Z- yeah. I call, I call Zyost. it Zyost. Zyost. Whatever, Zyost. It doesn't matter. I sure. say Zyost. Wait, okay, we're all different. Yes. Right. Let's go over that one more time. Zyost. Zeost. Zyost. Perfect. You choose like your own. It. Choose Zyost. your own adventure, listeners. <laughs> and but you're right. And Nalani looks up and is startled just by the name of the planet. Mm-hmm. And Jason's just like, oh, okay, cool. Whatever. But here's the I know what it means. Here's what it means. Yeah, him again just backhanded dismissing information about evil <laughs> like and, really well, really anyone's opinion other than his own <laughs> dude that is so that's so correct that is so true he well, yeah like you you guys keep saying it's willful ignorance. ignorance so he says he will be drawn from peace into conflict mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so that's everything's peaceful and he's drawn into like war or something yeah but then he goes Maybe it's not so much ex- moving from one to the other. Yeah. Maybe it's balanced between the two. And it's like, where, where are you getting See, that interpretation? The way I read that is maybe both of those things are true. And the first one is talking about external conflicts. And the second one is talking about his internal conflict of walking that line between peace and justice, he probably would call it, right? Maybe it's two two sides of the same coin there. I don't know. But it is an interesting point that he can interpret the one from Zyost, an ancient home of the Sith. Hard cut from all this serious and dark prophecy to cute 13-year-old just chatting with his cousin. Jason says, what did you do with your free time? Finally, we get to find out. I've been waiting all this time to find out what a 13-year-old does with his day off. Ben tries to be smooth. Oh, just found that shuttle. Yeah, the one from Toya's station. Yeah, no big deal. Whatevs. Uh, oh, then I got the cops to monitor it, and I put a tracker on it. You know. You know me. I love spies. My mom was a spy. Did you know that? My mom was a spy. Because that's, like, the first thing he says to Nalani. Ben starts hitting on Nalani while he's doing an impression of his uncle Lando. Like, hey, something, and I am Lando Calrissian, and so on and so forth. I thought that was so interesting. That's the first time in... Ben's interactions with Nalani that you see him present any kind of confidence. Well, and it's when he's pretending to be his smooth uncle. When he met her, like, what seemed like five minutes ago, he couldn't <laughs> talk to her at all. Yeah. He, just words no happen. Yeah. 
And, then, and now all of a sudden he's like super suave. And it's she like, says yeah. at the end of that, or or Jason says, one of the two of them comments on. Oh, she says now, it. Now you can't get him to stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. Typical thirteen-year-old, right? You're in your shell till you're too much. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> there is no balance for yeah. him between uh, conflict and pain. Or Zero to sixty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Zero to lubed in sixty <laughs> seconds. Oh, <laughs> uh, good choice of words. Thank you. Thank you. Chapter 27, Corellia. Han and Wedge are doing their basement bombing on Trallis. Here they go. They're in their ships. They're already doing their run. They're running at the... Th- they blow up the thing. Psych. It's a simulation. I just said we were on Corellia. Weren't you guys listening? Hello. We're not on Trallis. It must be a simulation. I went, I went back when I was reading this. I was like, didn't I just say... Didn't I just say we were opening on Corellia? I'm like, what? Yeah. And then I figured it out. You know, I'm smart. I figured it out. Don't worry, I figured it out. Han is dinking around, of course, because it's a simulation. He's trying to get in front of Wedge, causing him to miss his first bombing shot. Han misses his shot first. Bad news for him. He's looking like a fool. Which, of course, Wedge has to call him out on, posts him. They're bantering back here when here comes Thracken. Well, I mean, Han missed. <laughs> but he shot first, he, and that's really all that matters, right? Well, tell that to his wife, because <laughs> she might disagree in certain contexts. <laughs> but nonetheless, here comes Thracken, and he has no idea that Han and Leia are even on planet, let alone involved with this false flag mission that he's trying to run to incite a war. He wants to know how the Sims are going, and who this weird pilot is standing right next to him. They fake him out with classic malfunctioning helmet. <laughs> like, let, oh, let's do let's do no comms. And he puts his helmet on, shakes his head, bump, 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 just like he does when he comes out of the bunker in episode six, right? He's got his Stormtrooper helmet on, and they're like tapping on their heads. They're like, oh. That was A New Hope. Was it? Was it episode four? Okay, yeah, you're right. That's what it was, yeah. TK421, why aren't you at your post? <laughs> exactly. No, sorry. Oh, no talkie. Nah. And Thracken's like, yeah, sure, fine. Sure thing, I believe you. I believe you. Now, cut two. Lord City Lord. Jason wakes Ben up. Another emergency. A guy with a blaster in hand and man strapped to his back, holding people hostage in a three-story aquarium, complete with replica city inside. Now we're talking. If you, yeah. Listen. <laughs> if if we're gonna if we're gonna do some heavy ass terrorist attacks. Let's make them funky. Let's throw some twists yeah. in there. Yeah, we're, we're amping up the crazy already. This, this guy's a three-story aquarium. Okay. And he's got a guy sh- literally strapped, taped to his back. Strapped to his back. The first thing Nalani says, this guy is obviously crazy. Uh, you wouldn't be in a 30-foot aquarium with a bunch of hostages if you weren't. Thank you, detective. I love how they started draining the aquarium, threw a bunch of hostages in, and they're just bobbing yeah, just there, as and just slowly, get, slowly getting lower. Bottom of the replica fish city. Yeah. Well... Don't worry. Jason's going to take over these negotiations. Nalani says, remember, you can't just blow this one up. Ouch. She ain't playing. She's got some claws out for somebody who's trying to get some. Lube. Who's that terrorist? It's a guy who studies the commonalities between myths and archetypes across worlds and generations. Dr. Movak Arister. His job sounds amazing. This guy collects world myths, creation myths from across the galaxy, compares them, 
finds the similarities, and uses that information to decide what is history. That's my favorite thing in the world. He's a bard? Um, Without so- the music? Science bard. Yeah. <laughs> history <laughs> literary. science bard. He's an English major? So, like, this this is a thing on, on, on planet Earth, though. Like, the myth of the Great Flood. So many different cultures have a myth of a Great Flood from around the same time in human history. Pyramids. Where, it has to be aliens. <laughs> well, why are there pyramids in cult in separate cultures across the planet, right? Like, why why are there similar-looking pyramids to Egypt? Because it's in, easy to build in, a triangle. In Mexico. Well, I mean, there's reasons for it, right? But what I'm saying is, like, his job is to, like, investigate all this interesting stuff. I think that's dope. Like, just imagine if your job was, okay, I need to go. Uh, today i got to go to Egypt and talk to them about their great flood myth. Uh, next week we're going to fly over to Germany and talk to them about their great flood myth. Find out what is similar in between. And what could possibly be ancient human history out of myths. Because the reason why the stories get passed down for thousands of years is because there's something relatable in them or something slightly true. Yeah, at, every, at the very least. every myth has some origin and truth some, somewhere. Some kernel of something that you can pull out of it that yeah. is a truth of like ancient humans. In this case, ancient whatever planetoidians <laughs> planetoidians well guess what i like it someone told him he needed to speak with a jedi how about that and who guess was who it? did it ayla sakura who's that she was a jedi master at the end of the old republic alleged to have been shot down by clone troopers like so many of the jedi order at that time a blue twi'lek and surviving hollows of her show her to be beautiful of face and form. Well, in her career, she benefited the people of many worlds and entered the folkloric cycles of several primitive cultures where she often was merged with local historical figures or goddess characters. That's what I'm talking about. Where in these myths is the truth of humanity? And that is, uh, just is occurring to me now is kind of the whole point of reading at all fiction, nonfiction, whatever is you're looking through the story to find the relatable bits of humanity. So for example, in this case, let's talk about Darth Vader instead of Jason solo, because we haven't seen this arc yet, but the Darth Vader arc is a sad kid who misses his mom has bad dreams, does bad things for the right reason. He's just a dude making mistakes along the way who believes that he's right. Who just happens to have superpowers. Well, exactly. <laughs> right? But that's what I'm talking That's the stuff you strip away. Yeah. And you're like, what's well, the humanity in the story here? Yeah. Is like, is pressure on your shoulders and, and, and crumbling beneath the pressure and, and failing to, to see the wrong through the right and, explaining away your mistakes and stuff like that yeah that's the whole point of, of really of reading <laughs> isn't it i don't know where why do why do we like these books because they speak to us on human levels these aren't about like you just said they all have superpowers man yeah what's in what's relatable about it i can't move things with my brain i can't read people's minds i can't walk through the past you can't well not yet i'm, I'm only 31 we got time but that's not the, I mean, that stuff's interesting, obviously, on the nerd side of things, but that's not the relatable part of it. The relatable part of it is the characters, obviously, like the humanity of the characters. Yeah. The choices they make, 
and how that affects the world around them. Because that's all you have as a person is choices. Everything you, everything you are is choices, you know? I, I don't I don't know I don't know it's late here hey we keep get we keep coming up heavy here yeah, that's that's some heavy stuff but it's it's really I think very, that's such a cool job <laughs> <laughs> it's really very true that it's just a whole bunch of choices that anybody could make like take away all the all yeah, the strip strip away the, the bells and whistles yeah and it's just about dealing with your decisions and your emotions yeah. Which is, I mean, God, that's all you have to do every day, all day, every day. That's the only thing you have to get right. They add all that other stuff just to make it so spectacular, raise, so it's fun to, to read. To raise the stakes, right? Yeah, yeah. It becomes spectacular instead of mundane and where, ordinary. I mean, would I read it? Would I read a nine book series about Jason Solo if he wasn't magic? Eh. I don't know. I haven't read a nine book series, but a regular human yet. I've read lots of fantasy book series. I read the Stephen King Dark Tower. I've read a lot of these Star Wars books. Not a whole lot about just regular dudes doing yeah. or ladies doing regular things. That'd be like reading nine biographies about the same person. Actually, you know, one of my favorite biographies I ever read was Eric Clapton, and he is not a regular man either. I guess he Clapton is God, but Arister says. Many cultures still tell stories of her as a hero or even a goddess. Getting into the meta convo about history as myth, like right away, right, right fast. How people who do great things are remembered in stories. Powerful stories transcend time and they become myths or legends. Like we were saying right at the beginning, this guy... So, so the basis of, of this force ghost appearing to him is that it is somebody that he studies or, or somebody that he probably sounds like he looks up to as a hero who has become a myth, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, again, is, is, is the heart of Star Wars, a simple hero who becomes a legend. That's Anakin and Darth Vader. That's Luke Skywalker. That's Han Solo, a regular person doing spectacular things and then their story transcends time to become a legend. It's wild. But another fact about Arister, guess what? He's dying. He's terminally ill. And what does he want? He wants to become part of a bigger story. A little trace of literary immortality. Which he gets in a meta way in these pages. Yeah, because here is this character who wants to be remembered for this act, horrible act that he's about to be committing. And maybe in the Star Wars universe, the story gets told in universe. But regardless, here we are humans on planet Earth in real life. Reading about this guy's story. So in essence, he has achieved the immortality that he was looking for. And that is the only way. That you can get true immortality is to do great things and be told about across time. You're not going to live forever. You have to do something to make people talk about it. That's you're, yeah. You're really deep tonight, man. It's I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right. Let's, you know what? Keep on keeping on. I would love to be a legend, but here I am a mundane man reading Star Wars Legends. His plan for immortality 
He's going to jump in the water with the hostages and blow everybody up just to be remembered. And here's another thought I had. Is that what a life of studying myths does to you? His whole life is studying larger than life people being remembered for larger than life things. Well, on his own, his larger than life thing that he's going to accomplish with this mission is beating a Jedi. Yes. Outsmarting a Jedi. And he's seems really happy that it's Jacen because who better? He's a very high profile Jedi across the universe, especially to a guy who studies Jedi, right? Yep. He's obviously well-versed in Aayla Sakura, so he probably knows his Jedi. And he is real pumped that it's Jason. You're right. So Jason asks, Can I speak to the man on your back instead? Arister turns his back. What's your name? Jason says, My name is Serum Haxon. Awful. Bad. Mm, Guess what? Terrible. Doesn't matter. Jason says, I'm very sorry, Serum. And promptly blows them both up. My notes say, yikes, discuss. Here yeah. he goes. Here he goes again. But he's gone further this time. Because the first time, yep. he just put the guy in a situation where he could kill himself. And that was it. That was his only option. But Correct. he saved all those students. Yep. In this one, he killed the guy. He pulled the and trigger. And an innocent. He pulled the trigger. Yep. To save people. He's still saving people. Let me say this word. Sacrificed. One life for the greater good. Yeah. Now, again, back to the argument of does the ends justify the means here? You killed an innocent one. In, you murdered an innocent man and a suspect, right? Back to Luke's point of justice sometimes doesn't leave room for redemption. There's no room for this man to be redeemed here. You blow him up in the name of justice. Yeah. Not to mention the innocent man strapped to his back that you blow up to save 30 people down. The now, bottom. put this in like today's perspective. Say there's a terrorist with like a bomb, there are. a bomb vest and mm-hmm. he's like holding on to a civilian. Yep. And Which he's is got his pretty hand much on the scenario. Yeah. Yep. And he's got his hand on the detonator. Not in space. Yeah. They're not Earth. like taped <laughs> to him, but he's holding on to no, him. No, I get you. I get and you. like a military sniper goes, you know what? Screw this. Mm. I'm saving the situation. There's a bunch of hostages around. He shoots the guy and like auto response. He just like his finger twitches and he blows up that one person. The yeah. sniper's like, I knew that was going to happen, right. but it's only one. That sniper would be in a full court martial. But the thing is like, that's the kind of story that we talk about Yeah, where there has to be a sacrifice involved or it's less interesting. Yeah. If Jason just goes, Womp, closes his fist and blows up that guy in a, in a ball of air or <laughs> a ball of fire, just the one bad guy. It's not as interesting of a story, is it? Yeah. There has to be that element of sacrifice where it's not only is he sacrificing that life, he's he's also sacrificing that light inside himself. Like, you're not walking that line that you think you are, man. No. <laughs> you are doing the wrong thing time and time he again. He keeps pushing the line over. In the, in the name of... <laughs> The ends justify the means, yeah. right? Where you're like, hey, I saved 30 people. It doesn't matter that I physically blew two guys up. Yeah. Mathematically, it makes perfect sense. Now, think about but... it again. This kid's been raised in war all his life. So, guess what? When you're fighting for your life, for your whole life, 
that's the way the equation goes, man. <laughs> you yeah. know, 30 minus 2 doesn't have to be 0. It can be 28. You don't have to let that bomb go off just to be the the nice guy who tried to do the right thing. He's so is and isn't justified at the same time. Like it's a beautiful gray area to to write about where objectively, yeah, he totally did the right thing. Emotionally, no, you didn't do the right thing at all. Well, if this was an isolated event, mm. you could say, what a okay, good point. the ends justify the means. But when you build an argument based on a whole series of such times, you may find <laughs> that you've constructed an entire philosophy of evil. Evil! God damn it, Luke Skywalker. You know, we talked about a lot so far in this first book, foreshadowing. We've talked about a lot how Luke Skywalker is the shadowiest foreman to ever put feet in asses. The man is full of prophecy. Never mind these tassels. Everything he has said so far has been coming true through the book. Now, I want to talk about that from, from like the writer. You're choosing to make everything Luke warns people about come true. Like you're choosing that you are setting him up to be right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and Jason is wrong. Look at the contrast that we're seeing through the first book. I am right. You are wrong. You think I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong, dude. You're wrong. Jason thinks that Luke is wrong in everything that he does, but he's not, not, not the way that Jason is, is walking this different line, man. No, he's still kind of, he comes across as like that whole teenager mentality where they don't really know what they're doing, but they, they think they know better. Maybe that's why I always remembered him as being like 19 or 20, because like, to me as a 31 year old man reading about a 30 year old fictional man i mean again he seems like a teenager i wasn't a child soldier yeah these kids are they are trained from babies to be soldiers with weapons so i don't even know how how to like how to balance those scales in my mind versus the way that i would feel about this kind of stuff right like we live mundane lives. There's not a lot of sacrifice to be made. That's the difference between legends and myths and Arister. And I think I think the difference, like, because we were talking about Luke and Jason. Jason is a little more impulsive, where it's just like, <laughs> a little more. Where it's just like, okay, well, let's get this over with. Kill the two guys. Yeah. Where Luke could probably could have been like, all right, well, the two guys might die, but. Let's use the force and lift yeah. them up in a way and I, let I think him make the I think impulsive isn't quite right. I think impatient is better because yeah. he's always so like considered and thought out where he's like, he doesn't really just do things without thinking, but he is impatient to solve problems yeah. in, a, in an inefficient way. It's like, all right, I don't have time for this. Yeah. He's like, okay, we boom. talked. Sorry. Hey, Sarah. Sorry. Bang. Boom. <laughs> You're dead. Sorry about your luck. Yeah, that's probably awful. On the Jedi board. business. Go back to your drinks. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to stop selling death sticks? It's there's a big difference between failing to stop the guy blowing people up and 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 blowing up an innocent man on the back of a bad guy. It's indifferent. It's cold, and it's calculating. Jason, ever since chapter one, man, ever since he went into that missile factory, he's he's been that cold, calculating guy. 
No, no second thoughts, just decision and efficiency. And then when he when he makes that decision, that's that was the right decision. Yeah. No one's arguing with him. Well, Nalani is. Well, she says, to. "Are you insane? We didn't explore a single option other than your I'll make you my sidekick offer. There were no options," Jason said. "Here we go for the logicking." He was right. He had won. The only thing we could do was limit the scope of his victory. That meant limiting him to one life instead of several. You don't know. We didn't try. You could feel his determination, his strength. Jason's tone chided her because he's a dick. Mm-hmm. He had decided to die today. When someone decides to die, it's hard to dissuade them. Then Nalani makes a good point. Haxon, the guy on his back, hadn't decided to die. That, that was you, dude. He didn't decide that. True. But he was going to no matter what we did. No, Nalani says. What was the blaster pistol for, Nalani? And that brought her up short. What? The blaster pistol he had. What he held. What was it for? To compel obedience. Jason shook his head. He had his bomb for that. The bomb was all he needed, and he knew it. So what was the blaster for? So here we go. He just keeps asking her the same question over and over again. Like, is he being a teacher or is he being a jerk? I think he's still being I a think teacher. Both. I think both. Because she was formerly his student in lightsaber combat. I think he's still, he's in this, the teacher mode right now. Good point. And she says, what do you think it was for? So he gives her an answer. To shoot hostages one by one as the afternoon wore on. To shoot them and to mock us for our helplessness. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Right. It's a, it's a maybe, and you're making a very definite decision. On a maybe. On a maybe. Whereas, who who are you all book long? You are the man questioning everybody's decisions and whether they're making them with the proper amount of information. I would say, if he's got the bomb and a blaster pistol, I would say reasonably it's safe to assume Jasen is right yeah. for thinking he's got the blaster pistol to shoot it hostages one at a time. It is a reasonable assumption. But it's an assumption. And it's a dark one. Yeah. It's an assumption. It's not, oh, this is definitely what he had it for because he said this is what he has it for. Yeah. It, you know what I mean? His mind goes right to the darkest place, right? Yeah. Where he's like, um, no, the reason why he has a gun is to A, mock us, B, kill more people. She says, maybe. Nalani is actually talking to him about his decision making says, Jason, right. you have a good argument for everything you do, but my gut tells me what you're doing, or tells me that you're doing wrong. Yeah. Which is a direct reflection of Kevin's favorite quote from Luke Skywalker. You're building your argument on a bunch of bad arguments, man. And you're, you're evil. You're going, you're going bad. You're going sour. Yeah. It's the last day for the sour cream. It's going to get even more sour. He and Jason, again, defends his thing. He says, what does the force tell you? Hmm. Nothing. The force tells me nothing about what just happened. Well, then it wasn't the wrong choice. Right. Which, again, <laughs> come on, man. another reasonable assumption, but a harsh, dark assumption. Yeah. That doesn't mean that for sure, but he just imposes his logic on everybody else. Chapter 28. More mystery Jedi-related terrorist attacks. Ooh. Ooh. I love how they're getting, they start to get very brief yep, with they just throw them as vignettes. They just start going like real fast with them. It's like, and here we go. A guy kidnaps a girl to reform the government. The girl came to him in dreams and said to do it. 
Next one, a guy dresses as a Jedi, climbs a tall building, and threatens to jump unless they make him a real Jedi. Here's where Jason tries patience. He spends an hour trying to convince the guy that force sensitivity can't be taught. And then he tells him to jump. He says, forget it. Screw it. I give up. Go ahead. Jump. I don't care. Well, because he's there with a team of Jedi and they catch him on his way to the ground. And psych. All he, he just breaks an ankle. He was fine. It's fine. That one. That's fine. That's okay. You got that under control with three Jedi there. And Nalani hugged him after that one. She did. She is so happy he didn't kill this guy. Then Ben gets a message from local police captain. We got your shuttle pilot. Her name is Brisha Sayo. Let's talk about that name. How do you guys say that? Yep. Just like that. Yeah. Sayo. Sometimes I say CEO. Isn't that funny? Like we've talked about all along the way. When you're reading a book, like sometimes the names and descriptions just stay fluid and your brain just keeps them that way. Because the way that somebody looks or how their name sounds isn't really integral to the story. No. Particularly. Or when it is, you remember it, right? But the rest of the time, your brain just leaves it floaty because it doesn't really matter. Because it doesn't matter like, at all. Let's, let's get moving on with the interesting details as we're going to. She's got a fine name. I have been waiting for this name all this time. And we get a great description of her, too. The human woman sitting alone in the security interrogation room. Did not look like a criminal, at least on the surface. Clad in a purple jumpsuit that suggested both money and a preference for simplicity. She was about the same age as Ben's parents. At the height of vigorous middle age. She was lean, with well-defined muscles, suggesting an active life. And had dark hair, slightly curled, cut short, and an easy-to-maintain hairdo. I'm going to keep going on here. Her features were fine, and she was attractive. Her beauty was very approachable. She looked like the sort of woman who had been a greeter in a shop or hotel in her youth and still carried the mannerisms of that profession. Alone in the interrogation room, she did not look bored, but seemed to be impatiently awaiting the moment she could begin interacting with others again. Brisha, CEO. Impatient. More than impatient, she is also quite irreverent. But it's time to interrogate her. She doesn't deny her involvement, and when Jason jumps to conclusions, she does two things. She doesn't involve. She does not deny her involvement with the shuttle at Toriaz Station. That was the shuttle. She says, "Yep, that's the shuttle. You found me." But here's what happened. The first thing she does, and I thought this was brilliant writing. The very first thing she says to Jason. She questions the way that he thinks. She says, who taught you how to think like that? Because he's jumping to conclusions. That must rattle his little birdcage so hard, man. Questioning the way that he thinks. And then the second thing she does is mention that she knows his mom. You're going to jump to conclusions like that? That's how you think? Your mom didn't teach you better than that? I know your mom. What's the matter with you, son? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty much how this interrogation starts. It's an in, You've been arrested. It's an interrogation. This serious crime's been thrown at you. Irreverent. She demands that Jason apologizes before she continues telling him what happened. For being sarcastic. For being sarcastic. Because mm-hmm. she goes, I'm a force sensitive. He goes, I'm shocked. And she makes him apologize for that. Yeah. Well, she gets her 
apology. She waits it out. She gets it. Here comes the explanations. The terror attacks. These people came to me in dreams and I told them to involve the Jedi because who else could save them but the Jedi? Toriyas Station? Yeah, the shuttle? Yeah, I was there to observe you, Jason. I bailed when things went sideways. I, I heard the alarms and I just bailed. And I left you the tassels to lead you here to Lord, Jason. I knew one would speak to you and you alone, she says. Specifically, you, Jason. Brescia says, you want to know more? We can talk in my house. No more talking. Interrogation over. Jason says, or I friggin' kill you, bro. Hey, wow. Hey, settle down. I know it's an interrogation. Maybe he's doing bad cop. What the hell is wrong with this guy for real? Like, he is on a murder spree. Yeah, yeah even with Thraken, he was like... I think that's maybe, where he maybe I, I started I to turn his You know, he's point. like... He was had to kind of really deliberate in his head. Should I kill this guy? For the he's good pretty of the much universe. a war criminal. Yep. And then here's this girl. He's never met her before in his life. She's a force sensitive. She told people to get the Jedi involved yep. to help calm the situation down. He's like, I could just kill you right yeah, now. Or I could just kill you. What? What the yeah. hell is wrong with this guy, man? He, ever since that moment with Thraken where they were at the sucky uppy tubes inside Thrak inside center point and he had the vision of if i don't kill thraken right now the galaxy goes to war ever since that moment he has just been wantonly killing people steadily downhill how many people do you think he's killed so far over the course of this book never mind soldiers Nameless fighting guards. against him never mind that i'm talking about like let's work backwards from the dude died in the in the the one short vignette with the government reformation terrorist attack those guys died um the guy in the giant aquarium jason killed him and an innocent dude going backwards from there it's just every chance he has to kill somebody he hasn't been hesitating anymore yeah ever since he hesitated with thraken and thraken got away no more hesitation impatience to murder is what I would call it at this point. But Jason and Ben and Nalani duck, duck out of the interrogation room and he immediately tells them, I'm going to her house. Nalani says, I'm going to then. Ben says, it's a trap. That's a trap. Jason says, no. Nalani says, I'm going to. Jason says, no. Nalani says, yes. Jason says, okay then. <laughs> I guess... He's not so hard to argue with after all. <laughs> Cut to Carillion system above Trallis. Here's one of those, another one of those where it's a super short little vignette and you're not sure why, but it's obviously setting up something for later. It's Leia on the bridge of the Dodonna meeting the new Admiral. Remember our force ghost visiting Admiral Klauskin has been put on emotional distress leave. And now we have Admiral Tarla Lampin. Limpin. Limpin? Limpan. L-I-M-P-A-N. Limpan. Oh. I don't know. Sorry, I put my vowels backwards when I wrote oh, that down. But uh, I don't like it. Lampin's a little better than Limpin. As long as she's got a leg problem. <laughs> I like Tarla. I, I can get that Tarla's not Tarla. bad. Tarla's, Tarla's, Tarla's pretty cool. It and sounds, that's what she prefers to be called, too. It sounds, you know what it sounds like? Not, I'm not trying to be judgy here. But it sounds so, like, trailer park. 
Tarla. Hey, Tarla. <laughs> it's like Southern Redneck. Yeah, Anyhow. when you say it like that, yeah. Like, you know, you know what? We've learned that a lot along the way is that I, I can color I can color the perception of a word based on the way that you want to say it. You can make anything sound any certain way. Yes, you can. Tarla. No, still sounds bad. Okay. She's in charge now instead of Klauskin, though. And Leia's like, yo, I'm just here visiting, you know, just keeping them lines of communication open like I was asked to by my brother. No big deal. That's what I'm doing. But really, she's hoping to be able to help Han in the coming hours. And where is she telling everyone Han is right now? Good question, Kevin. Where is she telling everyone where Han is right now? Han, at the moment, is out visiting old smuggler haunts, trying to get a sense of black market traffic and what it means to the current crisis. That's right. Which is a blatant lie. totally not on Corellia, government. Don't even look for him there. Cut to Coronet Corellia. Han is is bored rolling through their military pre-flight checklist. It's been, what, 50, 60 years since he had to do something like this? Probably not. The Yuzhan Vong War was only 10 years ago. Yeah, but was he technically part of the military at that point? Hey, man, his his wife was running the government, so I bet you there was a few checklists. Maybe. I bet. I would put it in the probable cause category without the negative emotions. I went went all the way back to when he was in the Empire. Yeah, I know, yeah. But you know what the thing is probably that maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he's just done so many of them over the course of his life. He's just like, I don't do these. Let's go. Let's get on with it. Leia thinks being on this mission was a bad idea, he says. And Han is starting to doubt himself. Excuse me. He's a little slower on the uptake. First, we've already seen him have to pull over because he was emotional. And now he is second guessing himself in the cockpit of a starship before he's about to launch. Who is this man? He is not the Han Solo you remember from the movies. This is 40 years of loss, Han Solo. Yeah. This is my best friend Chewbacca's dead Han Solo. This is my youngest son, Anakin, is dead Han Solo. This is my I was estranged from my wife for many years, Han Solo, after the death of my son. This is a life of sacrifice, Han Solo. Doubting himself in the cockpit. He even says, on the other hand, when had he ever decided against doing something just because it was a bad idea? Not in 40 years or so and seldom before then. Doing things even though they were bad ideas had gotten him in a decades-long friendship with a noble Wookiee, had landed him a wife no other woman in the galaxy could compare to, had gotten him beat up a lot. No time for doubt, though. Launch, says Wedge. (laughs) They leave Karelian atmosphere and jump to hyperspace. Han thinks this mission is going to be tough if Wedge keeps trying to one-up me. I guess I'll just one-up him. Yep, grown man. 60. How how old? Okay, Han was like 30, 40 years ago. So he's He's about a 70-year-old man, 65-something-year-old. Oh, yeah. Acting like a baby. Measuring wieners against his best friend. Maybe him and Wedge aren't best friends, but they're old friends. Like, hey, guys. And they're both about the same age. I think I think it's just that classic like the threat of war you have you have it's so heavy that you have to blow off steam all the time by acting like fools and being silly and like pretending that things aren't as heavy as they are. I like how with Han and Wedge you get kind of two very similar type of characters in the fact that they're both like top tier pi- like pilots. Yeah. 
but they're both very different about it. Like Han yeah. is the cocky, arrogant pilot who's really he's good. also the the outsider. Yeah, but Wedge is like the quiet, collected, really good pilot. Yeah, so it's quiet, like confidence. who's the better pilot? No idea. But they're very different personalities. Well, that's, and I love it's that. like you can't. It's literally like apples and oranges. You can't compare. But they always have funny banter between the two of them, just like all of these old men pilots do. And you know what they're doing? They're doing that I call old generation man thing. I'm talking about real life right now where they can't possibly talk to each other any way other than teasing each other. That's all they can do. All they can do is tease each other. They can't possibly talk to each other like well-adjusted grown-up men. My dad is so bad for that. Dude. (laughs) Every man, even now, most, if not throughout the entire history of the world, this is your stereotypical way a man is presented in the company of other men. Yeah. Whipping towels in the locker room and like <laughs> pinching each other's asses or whatever they do out there. I'm a nerd. I don't know about locker rooms. But like, <laughs> really, the only way that men know how to relate to each other is to compete and fight but that's it that's all we can do that's how you know they're men how will this mission go will han's doubts come true will leia's doubts come true will jason ever have a doubt find out next week on forever canon when we cover chapters 29 30 31 and 32 i'm justin i'm tim i'm kevin Smell ya another time. Bye. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Cannon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.